gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Jesus also said to the disciples, A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration, because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to him, said to himself, What will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I'm removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, Take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, How much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. My process for sermons is usually, after the text has been picked, I'll read through it a few times in a few different translations, then I'll read commentaries, and then I'll do some academic journal articles. And one of the first things I read for this, we're on the lectionary, so I didn't really pick this, I just put in the lectionary text and didn't give it much thought. I don't read those ahead of time. Maybe I should. The first commentary I read said, this is the most written about parable and the least understood. I was like, great. I have a lot to read and not learn much. This is one of those parables. You remember, parables are a fictitious story that is made up to convey some kind of meaning or moral. They were a popular teaching tool of rabbis, and Jesus used them often. But sometimes the parables are so far outside of their context that we don't quite know what the point was exactly. And this might be one of those. Because we have a weird situation here. You would think that you have this dishonest manager and the master would find out what the manager was doing and cutting what people owed him in half and that manager would be dealt with harshly. If you had someone managing your retirement account and you came to meet with them and said, hey, you're mismanaging my money, you're fired, 
And then you came to find out that an hour later, they had kind of taken half your money away. Would you congratulate that person? Probably not. And yet the master, when learning what the manager did, commends the dishonest manager for being clever, for acting cleverly. What is Jesus trying to say here? So I'm going to take a crack at this parable, take it for what it's worth. It's not published. If you want to read more, I can point you to a lot. There's some important background pieces for this, I think. I often say how vague some things are in the Bible and wish that Jesus was more specific. This is one of those times. However, when we look at the law, the law is very specific, especially around the topic of money and what is allowable and what is not allowable. For a practicing and faithful, righteous Jewish person, it was against the law of Moses to charge interest to a fellow Jewish person. Now, how long do you think that lasted before they started to try to find workarounds? Not very. So when we have these contracts that this master, and it's, we can kind of deduce that it's probably a Jewish master. Jesus is Jewish, talking to Jewish disciples in a Jewish context. So I think we can infer that the master is Jewish and the manager is Jewish. So rather than charge interest, what they would do is they would just kind of pad the original loan amount as though they loaned a lot more than they actually did. So on paper, they weren't charging interest, although they were really charging like loan shark interest, like a lot, like 30% or 40% or 50%. They were making a lot off of their fellow Jewish people. Now, how did they get away with this? I mean, the Jewish leaders would have known about this, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. So how did these money, these wealthy people who were extorting their fellow Jewish people, how did they get away with it? Well, you just push some along to the temple. You know, make sure you give plenty to the church and the church will look the other way. That's what was going on in Jesus' day with the temple. When Jesus, before in Holy Week, when he flips the tables and cracks the whip at the money changers, that's part of the system that he's fighting against, a corrupt system that's benefiting the priests and the Pharisees at the expense of the people. As Jesus explains this passage, this story, when it takes a turn and the master commends the dishonest manager for being clever, Jesus puts a twist on it. You see, Jesus loved talking about money. Next to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, money was the second most popular topic in Jesus' ministry. Because we can't get away from money. 
It's a part of our lives. And even before they had money you would hold in your hands, there were goods that were valuable. And that's how society ran. It impacts all of us. The lack of or abundance of money has a profound impact on human life. So Jesus makes it clear that, yes, this dishonest manager had to act quick because fired by his master, it's not like he can go apply for another job. He would be out. He would have to beg or dig or be manual labor. He's too frail for that. He's too proud to beg. So he has to endear himself to people who will then welcome him into their homes. And what better to do than reduce what they owe by half? You're going to love the person that does that. But Jesus makes an important distinction. This dishonest manager was using his craftiness for his own benefit for a very short return on his investment. Because our life on earth is temporary. You can amass all the wealth in the world, and when you die, you have the same amount as anyone else. This life is temporary. So we have two choices, according to Jesus here. Our focus can be on making this temporary life as cushy as possible. Or we can focus on ensuring that we have a place eternally and that that place is full of people we have interacted with in this life, we have helped and benefited, and that when our time in this world is over, we are welcomed into our eternal home with opened arms. But we can't do both. We can't both make sure our life is incredibly comfortable and without worry and also build up that eternal place for everyone. You can't serve God and wealth is how Jesus ends the teaching here. Now, does that mean wealth in and of itself is bad? No. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's how we use it. But a passage like this does force us to examine some things. Who do we celebrate in this country? Who do we celebrate? Do we celebrate the social worker that had to get a master's degree to practice and makes $37,000 a year with a caseload of 900 kids that they're trying to help at any one time, and they're underfunded, and their budget's constantly being cut? Or do we celebrate the billionaire rocket race? Who people who have so much extra money that they're blasting themselves into space. I won't talk about the shape of the rockets and all the other things we can talk about with that. But we celebrate the billionaires 
the ones who built something from nothing, which isn't true. They didn't do it all themselves. And we leave out to dry the ones who are in the ditches doing the work. What about school teachers? We hear all the time about how valuable education is for kids. Every school teacher buys stuff with their own money for their class. There aren't budgets for that. They don't make a lot of money either. And then we braid them when our kids aren't doing as well as we think they should be. The point of this parable, I believe, as I looked at kind of what was written about it, was priorities. What are our priorities as we seek to be people of God following Jesus? And I think if we look at Jesus' words here, we can kind of deduce that our priorities are out of whack most of the time. And we do a lot of convincing of ourselves that they're not. We can look at church budgets. What do we spend the most on? Our buildings. They're expensive to keep up and heat and cool. How much goes towards mission and outreach? Not a lot. We kind of, whatever's left that we can do, we do. I think we're being invited to a time of reevaluating our priorities, both individually, both as married couples, with partners, our families, our communities, our churches, to re-examine what truly is of importance to us. Where does our loyalty lie? Because we have to stop deluding ourselves to think that our loyalties can be split up. Jesus makes it clear. We can only serve one master. But we all serve a master. None of us are outside of that. So whom do we serve? Do we serve our ambition? Do we serve our comfort? Do we serve our wealth? Do we serve our political ideology? Or do we serve God? Because if we say we serve God, all the other aspects of our life must show that. It must be our priority. In everything, it goes to Jesus' great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind, to love our neighbors as ourselves, leaves no room for anything else. So I invite you into this time to examine what are your priorities? Where do your loyalties lie? And if you're uncomfortable by that or if you see or start to see things that show that maybe you're serving a different master, this is where grace steps in. And God's grace is abundant and the invitation is there to change and to refocus to reorient yourselves back to the one true master. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 